You guys ever notice that Ronnie gets his stuff carried out for him, but I have to carry out my own stuff? <laughs> just an observation I was just making. But anyway, I've, I've been preaching more, and so I, I have a tendency to forget what I've said and what I haven't said. So I, I don't know if I've told you this, but did I? Have I ever told you I was in a gang in high school? I don't think I have. But I was. I was in a gang in high school, and like not, not a joke gang, like a for real gang, like... You know, the Bloods and the Crips, and this was like a subset of the Crip gang, which, by the way, if you don't know, gangs are far more organized than you could imagine, right? And this was a subset of that one, and did I ever tell you that? No, I don't. It's because I wasn't in a gang in high school. But I wanted to be known, I wanted to be known as someone who was in a gang in high school because I'll tell you what, being perceived as being in a gang in high school does provide some protection. But it also uh, proves to be a little bit problematic because I also was part of this group called Young Life. And Young Life is a campus ministry. And I wanted to be known as being part of Young Life. And in Young Life, I wanted to be known as a good Christian, a good Bible scholar, if you will. But I was also a relatively decent athlete. And so I wanted to be known as a good baseball player. Like I wanted to be known as a jock and a good athlete. And as you can imagine, (laughs) maintaining all those images got really difficult. Like I can remember times that I'd show up at Young Life in my puffy starter coat and my Timberlands when it should have been penny loafers in a sweater and I got them all mixed up and it's just all jumbled up. But you guys, you guys know, right? Like you have some of those same stories where, because we all want to be known for something. We all have a desire to be known for something. And you, you may have given it no thought at all or for some of us, unfortunately, we may give it way too much thought. Uh, but when you come to mind, when you come to mind to you, you have adjectives that come to mind for you. Now, for me, just to be very honest, like one of the adjectives that, comes, that does not come to mind for me is that I'm good at English because I had to Google what adjectives meant. <laughs> like, this is no joke. I'm sitting at my computer and I type into Google words that describe a person and Google said, you're an idiot. They're called adjectives. <laughs> anyway, so adjectives, adjectives actually, they determine a lot about us. They determine the things that we say about ourselves. Uh, we, they determine the things that we want said about us. They, They determine the things that we hide from people, and they determine the things that we show people. They determine our social media. Uh, Mostly so, they determine our Instagram, kind of our curated picture of what we want people to see about ourselves. And if we can, let's be real for just a second. They even shape our be real. Like, I know this because, and if you don't know what be real is, ask your grandkid later. They'll tell you all about it. But anyway, I know this because my be real, when the the notification goes off, if I'm sitting at my desk, i got to make sure my Bible's in the right spot. I just open it up i got to make sure my coffee cup is turned, and then i got to make sure YouTube is off the, the screen because that's probably what I was watching, and i got to put up some document that Ronnie thinks I'm supposed to be working on. So, you know, when I take my Be Real shot, that's the way it's supposed to be. We, we all do it, right? Like we have these things that we want to be known for, these adjectives that we think of when we think of ourselves. But what do you want to be known for? That's a kind of a big existential question we all ask. Right? What do we want to be known for? Well, in the spirit of vulnerability, I thought if we were going to do this, that I'd start off by sharing some things that I want to be known for. Uh, and then we'll start right here with you, and, and you'll tell us some things that you want to be known for, and we'll just go right down the line. And by the end, we'll all know each other what we want to be known for, right? Well, of course, we're not going to do that. But for me, I don't think I've ever really even said this out loud before, but I, I want to be known as a hard worker. Uh, and I think a lot of that stems from, as a child, like, I wasn't much of a hard worker. And in fact, I, I watched my son and and he's kind of achieving some pretty cool things as an athlete because he worked really hard. And things that I think that I could have achieved, I didn't because I, I, just didn't, I just didn't work very hard. And so today I want to be known that people look at me and say, hey, man, Matt's a hard worker. Uh, I want to be known as a good father. I want people to look at me and say, hey, man, he, he loves his kids well and he leads his kids well. And, and really, I think when I boil it all down, like when all said and done, if people said something about me, I, I want them to say that I'm a great husband 
that I, that I pursued my wife with all that I had, that I loved her with all that I had, and in the end, I was a great husband. But what, what about you? I mean, you have some of those things. I'm sure you have plenty of them. I could go on forever. Some of those things might match yours. They may not. But what about you? Like, and let's take it a step deeper. When you think about the things that you want to be known for, what do you do when you don't measure up? Like, meaning here, here's what you want people to know you as. Here's what you want to be known for. Here's how you project yourself. The adjectives that come to mind when you think of yourself, these are things you think of. When people think about you, this is what you want. What happens when you don't measure up? And more specifically, what happens when you don't measure up to you? What happens when you don't measure up to yourself? Well, that's actually really easy because you do exactly what I do. We pretend. We pretend and we make excuses, and we probably wouldn't say this out loud, but we actually mislead uh, people to, to think things about us that, that may or may not be true. And, and in the end, what we're actually doing, whether we know it or not, we're, we're, we're managing an image. Uh, we're managing the image of what we want people to perceive us as. And the harder we work to manage that image, the more we become imaginary. As we work to develop this outward appearance to people, what we want to project to people, in the end, we become an imaginary person. And let me promise you, I, I know this to be true. It's impossible to have genuine friendships. It's impossible to have genuine, intimate connection with a spouse if you're not genuine. You can't have genuine relationships if you aren't genuine. You can't be genuine as long as you're trying to maintain an image, trying to manage an image. You're an imaginary person. Uh, and as long as there's a gap between what we hope people think about us, what we hope people say about us, and what people actually think about us or who we actually are, we're going to be struggling with this deception, this idea that, that we can fake something and we're never going to be genuine. And the bad news, unfortunately, actually gets a little bit worse for all of us. The moment we start pretending, we stop growing. We get older, but we don't get better. We get older, but we don't grow any deeper. We, we age, but we don't transform. We, we don't change. What we actually become is just stuck. The reason I know this to be true is because pastors, people who do what I do, we can be the worst at this. Uh, we can be the worst offenders at this. And parents and Siblings, if you're an older sibling, like you probably know this to be true, like you want your younger siblings to look up to you and, and to see things in you that they want to be. And you have adjectives about yourself that you want your young, younger siblings to say and think about you. If you're a parent, you know this pressure very well. You, you feel this pressure to kind of always be on, right? To, to always have it all together. Things like, hey, daddy, are you watching Yellowstone? And you're like, no, I wouldn't watch that junk while you're awake. <laughs> You know, we have this pressure. We feel like we gotta, we got to always have it together. And for me, and I know for Ronnie, because we talk about it, and for other pastors, to the, the, the degree with which my life, to the degree with which my marriage or my faith, to the, the degree with which it veers from what I present it to be, I feel pressure to pretend. Uh, the moment it takes a, a turn from, from the way I present myself to be, I, I feel the need to pretend. And I honestly feel that pressure to, be, to pretend because some of you want me to. Some of you want me to be who you think I am. Some of you want Ronnie to be who you think 
He is. It's like this. If I was going to stand up here and say, hey, this morning I'm going to give you a message on self-control. But before I start, I just want to thank the pastors uh, for getting me home last night after I had a few too many at our get-together. That little friends get so great. But before self-control, let me teach you. Or, or if I did this, if I said, hey, before we begin a new series on making the most of marriage, I, I wanted to take a moment and I wanted to thank my wife. I want to thank my wife who's actually sitting in the production booth right now. Hey, honey, I'm just so thankful. She told me she's going to give me one more shot. Uh, but let me teach you about marriage this morning, right? Like, you don't want to hear that. That's, that's not what you want from me. But I'm not special. Like, I, I don't have any pressures on me that you don't have on yourself. The truth is, most of us have gaps. Uh, we have gaps between what and who we want to be known for and who we actually are. And so you, just like me, are tempted to pretend. Uh, we're tempted to cover, and, and a lot of times we're tempted to withdraw and to hide. Let me be honest for a second here. Like, I don't know if you've thought about this, but where do we tend to pretend the best? Where are we the best at pretending? Right here. Right here. We're the best at it. In fact, you guys can't see it, but from up here where I'm standing, every couple looks happy. Like you all look so happy. You should be proud. And your kids, they look so perfect. Like, and you all look wealthy. Like you don't have any money issues. And you may have screamed your lungs out in the minivan on your way here. Like if you say one more word, but hey, brother, how are you doing? As soon as you get out of the van. We all know that's how it works. And here we are on our best behavior. We're on our best behavior because we actually believe on the inside that if, if they knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me. Uh, if they knew what I was really like, they, they wouldn't want to be around me. If they knew what I had just done, they wouldn't want me here. And here's the ironic thing, the, the important truth with, for where we're actually headed today. If, if people don't really know you, they don't really like you. Uh, they like a projected image of you. They like what you have pretended to be. They like the imaginary. They like the Instagram you. They like the adjectives that you're trying to present to them, that you're trying to be known by. But it's impossible. This is actually, it's, it's actually completely possible. This is a terrible thing to say. It's completely possible that nobody likes you. <laughs> because nobody knows you. They only know an imaginary you. They, they only know what you've projected out there. They only know that what you've been managing to try and put out there for them to see so that they might think good things about you, so they might actually like you. While the real you, while the real you is dying for true, intimate, genuine relationships. And that real you, it goes completely unknown. It's... It's not until we embrace who we are and where we are that we can get to where we want to be, that, that we can actually get to where we need to be. So we all know we, we want to be known for something. That's true. We, I think we can all agree on that. But what we really need is to be known by someone's. We need to be known by some someone's. We all need relationships where we can drop the pretense, uh, where we can stop pretending to have it all together, where we can get rid of this manufactured coolness that we try and put on, this fake courage and confidence, all without the fear of criticism, 
all without the fear of judgment, all without the fear of being abandoned, if you will. Uh, and here's kind of the proof of this story. Hopefully it proves it to you. I know it did to me. That, and you may have very well experienced this very type of thing yourself, that when you find that group of people, when you find that group of people where you're able to drop pretense, where maybe for the first time you're able to stop pretending to be something, where you're no longer an imaginary person, you're attracted to that group, whether it's a healthy group or not. Here's what we find ourselves saying when we see that those people are for real. And those are some real people. And in fact, you may have walked away from the church or you may have never even had a desire to be a part of the church because you've never met real people in the church. But there's some other environment. There's, there's this other thing that you've been a part of, this other group, this bar, this club, this gym, this place where you find the environment where you can let go of all of that. And all you think are those people are real. And maybe they are real. I don't, I don't know your story. I don't know what situation you may be thinking of. They may be real people, but maybe, maybe those are the first people you were real with. And when you were real with them, you got known. And when you got known, it felt good. And maybe for the first time in your life, you felt like somebody really liked you. Because you allowed yourself to be you. This is why, like, rehab romances is actually a real thing. They happen all the time. People fall in love in rehab all the time. And why is that? Is it because they're around such healthy people? Well, Well, no. It's because they're around people who are just like them. They're around people who they they can drop the pretense and they know they're not going to be judged because those people are just like them. And they find themselves saying, you understand me, will you marry me? Like for the first time, they're with a group of people who understand who they really are. They don't have to hide anything because it's so powerful. It's so powerful when you find a group of people who truly know you for you, for who you are. You feel like they still have your best interest in mind. That is such a powerful thing, and it's such a powerful thing because it's what you were made for. It's what we were created for. And yet so many, so many people in the church, so many people in our church, in relevant community church, the faces that I'm looking at right now are not experiencing anything close to that, which is exactly why we decided to do this series. See, we know with certainty That transformation, the change that we all are wanting to experience, the desire to become who God created us to be, none of that happens by ourselves. Transformation does not happen in isolation, meaning we need authentic, real, genuine relationships to help us become that, to help us become what God has created us to be. But we cannot have those. We cannot have those until we are known. So how do we get known? That's the big question. I'm going to come back to that idea in just a little bit. But during this series, we're going to look at five types of relationships. Five types of relationships we all need that we believe will help drive us towards becoming who God created us to be. There may be more than five, but we only have five weeks till Christmas, so that's all you get. All right? That idea of five weeks to Christmas just kind of made me vomit in my mouth a bit. But I'm fine. I'm good. Uh, The first one we're looking at today that's going to be woven throughout my message is vision casters. And vision casters to me are they're people who help you see beyond yourself. They help you to see beyond what you see in yourself. They, they help you see in you what you cannot see in yourself. Vision casters, they help perf- point you towards a preferred future. And, and I believe the most important one of all, vision casters will help call out of you what God has already put in you. That when a vision caster knows you, 
They can see what God put in you and call that out of you. They can see what God put in you and push you to experience that in your life. But for anyone to do any of that, they have to be known. They have to be known for who they really, really are. Let me say it like this, kind of my main point for the day. When you are known for who you are, you can be shown who you can become. I actually have a story in my life relatively recently over the past few years that I think portrays this very well. I had a friend, we were super close friends. We are super close friends. And we had been for years. Uh, and I kind of watched his marriage struggle. His marriage was tough, which ultimately led to a kind of a tough divorce. Uh, and kind of coming out of all that and learning more about the situation, it, it involved alcohol and alcoholism. And, and so, man, when he came out of that situation, I was working with him through that. And I even went with him to an AA meeting and, and tried to help set up some, some systems, some structures in his life to help see his life move forward. Man, and from my perspective, it was rolling. Like, man, I helped set up a genius plan for this guy. That's what I felt like. And then come to find out, I only felt that way because that's all he was showing me. That's all I got to see. Because one day I get a text and he says, hey, man, can I come over? We come over. He comes over and sits on my couch and tells me that he has been lying to me. Maybe not using words to lie, but he was allowing me to believe something that that wasn't true at the time, and he was still going home on a nightly basis and, and drinking until the point that he fell asleep. And then he went on to tell me some other things that he was struggling with. And in the end, in that few moments, he went from not being known, as much as I thought he was known, he went from not being known to known. And through tears, I remember him telling me specifically, I don't know if I've ever felt this free. I, I don't know if I've ever felt like what it really feels like to be known. And so his life has been dramatically different from that point forward because for the first time he was known and he no longer, longer had to hide anything. When we are known, we can be shown. But how are we known? And that's kind of the key part of this sermon that I actually believe you're not going to believe me or a lot of people won't believe me. I'm going to have to spend some time convincing you of um, the place where we're supposed to be known, the place where this is supposed to happen. Uh, the place created for this to happen, where, we're, where, where we can be known and where we can know fully is the church. Not, not the church like a building we go to on Sunday mornings, but the church, a people to belong to. That may not have been your experience. Like, uh, in fact, you, you may have walked away from the church at different points in your life because you had an experience that was bad concerning this entire subject. And you need to know, like, the essence of what the church is created for is for this very thing. Of course we don't always get it right, but that's what it was always meant to be about. The church is meant to be the environment where this kind of knownness can happen. And here's actually why I say that. Uh, there's a guy who was a pastor of a church in Jerusalem, the very first church. You've heard of First Baptist, First Presbyterian. This is First First First, first church, the very first one. His name was James. He actually happened to be the brother of Jesus. And he said this concerning what it means to be the church. He said, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And so that's what we're going to do. Uh, in just a few moments, I'm going to have you go find a complete stranger. And I'm going to have you confess your deepest, darkest sins to that person. Allow them to do the same thing. I just suggest you don't go first. Right? <laughs> Of course, we're not going to do that. 
When you read that verse, you think the same thing I think when I read that verse. I'll confess my sins all day long, but I'm going to confess them to God. I'm going to keep them between him and I because I don't want anyone to know what I'm really up to. Which is really just the same thing as saying, I don't want anyone to know me. I don't want anyone to know what's actually going on inside of me. I don't want to be known. I don't know what's wrong with my marriage. I don't know why I don't have any friends. I don't know why I'm around people all day long, but I feel so lonely. James would say, let me tell you why. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. On the level with which you know what's going on in their lives, pray for each other so that you may be changed. So that things might get better, so that you can be healed. There's extraordinary power in being known for who you are. Power in letting people know what's on the inside, not just what we project on the outside. But let me just take some of the pressure off for you. If this helps for you, that does not, under any circumstances, that does not happen in here. That would just be weird in here. In fact, in rows, it's impossible for us to do one of the most important things the church was designed to do. Another pastor of a church said this, and let us consider how we may spur one another along towards love and good deeds. Spur is just this idea of urge to, to kind of go, to, to push someone towards love and good deeds. And continues, says, not giving up meeting together. So he's saying this isn't a solo thing. You don't get to do this as an individual by yourself. Not giving up meeting together is somewhere in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So could you just imagine again, could you imagine if, if I said, hey, when I'm done today, after I say amen, I would love for you, before you leave, uh, turn to the person that you met during that awkward say hi to each other time that we had earlier. And I, and I want you to say, I want you to spur them on. It, it would look a lot like this. Like, hey, hey, dude. Hey, uh, you, you go get it, man. <laughs> you be you, dude. Like, what was your name again? Um, it, it would just be so disingenuous. Like, how are you supposed to spur somebody along that you don't know? You don't know him or you don't really know her. Uh, Pastor Paul, the Apostle Paul, who planted you know, more churches probably than anybody ever has. And so he knew quite a bit about what the church was and what it was supposed to be. He said this, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit, meaning you who have submitted yourselves to, to God and, and his authority, should restore him gently. If, if we were to take this seriously, Paul's actually saying, we should actually try to catch people. Like, like catch, stand up and say, ha I caught you. So what we're going to do is you're going to stand up. If you know anybody in this room who sinned, if you could just let us all know what it was, well, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that because you wouldn't want to do that. You don't know him or her. Or you don't know what's really going on in their life. I mean, sure you have hope as a follower of Jesus that they figure it out, but you're not going to call them out and try and restore them in that way. And he goes on, Paul goes on to say this, carry each other's burdens. If I'm going to carry your burden, I've got to know what your burden is. If you're going to carry my burden, you have to know what's really going on in my life. And in this way, in this way of carrying each other's burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is the law of Christ? Well, Jesus, right before he left this earth, right before he ascended into heaven, he, he kind of broke it down for his followers. He said at one point there were 600 plus rules, regulation, laws that we had to live by. I kind of, I broiled that down to about two, but I'm just going to give you one. 
the law of Christ. Love one another just as God through Christ has loved you. And so when you have questions about what all this stuff means or what we're supposed to be doing as a church, it can be answered pretty easily. And he says this one thing, love one another just as God through Christ has loved you. That's the law of Christ. We see one more thing. Paul says this, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. You know why Christ accepted you the way that you were? You know why God accepted you the way that you were? So he could transform you into who he wanted you to be. Do you know why God took you right where you were in, in all of your sin and all your struggles and all your troubles? Because he didn't want to leave you there. He wanted to take you to where he wanted you to be. And this is the best news. This is the best news about being a follower of Jesus. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus or you once were and you've kind of walked away, this is the best news that he loves us and he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. He loves us where we are, but he has the intention to move us to where he wants us to be. And you know where we'll experience God's unconditional transformational acceptance? With people who are committed to and open to God's unconditional and transformational acceptance. See, the way that you're transformed, the way that you're changed and molded and growing into the person that God created you to be is by being around people who are transformed, who are constantly being molded and changed and growing into the people that God created them to be. And knowing those people deep enough to know what's actually going on inside of them. Once again, this does not happen in here. I love in here. I make a living doing what I do in here. In here is awesome. It's fantastic. But in here, we can't even really do what the church was actually designed to do. And that's why I need, that's why you need, that's why we all need a therapist. No, it's why, it's, it's why we all need. It's why we all need what I've been a part of for so many years. It's why we all need what has had such massive impact on my life for so many years. We all need a circle. Because it's in a circle. It's in a, it's in a smaller group of people. It's in, a, it's in a circle with a handful of people who are one anothering one another. Uh, that's where the action actually takes place. That's where the essence of church actually happens. That's where life-on-life life transformation happens. That's where you carry one another's burdens. That's where you accept one another. That's where you're able to be honest. That's where you're able to confess your sins without fear of being defriended. It's where the, when you need care, that's where they're going to care for you. It's where you, when you need somebody to just be with you because you're in so much pain and so much hurt that somebody's just going to come and be with you because they know you and they love you. That's where someone else in your group at some point when you're confessing what you're going through, they're going to stand up and say, hey, me too. And then in that moment, you'll realize I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I, I felt by myself all this time, but that person is dealing with the same thing that I am. That, that I'm not the only couple struggling in my marriage. I'm not the only guy struggling. I'm not the only woman wondering if I'm ever going to be enough. And all of a sudden you realize when you're really known that there are so many more people just like you dealing with the same things that you're dealing with. And yet at the same time, those people who know you and love you don't want to be left there and they don't want to leave you there. 
We want to become everything God's created us to be. In the New Testament, the writers of the New Testament tell us over and over and over again that that kind of transformation, that kind of real life change happens in the context of life on life relationships. When we are known for who we are, we can be shown who we can be. This is exactly why we are so committed. We are so committed to be a church that emphasizes circles above, of, and along with rows. We are so committed to creating environments where we can be together in smaller groups of people, where this life-on-life transformation can take place, where these relationships can be fostered and built above, of, rows. We love sitting in rows. I, I love it. But we know that this is not what he intended when he said, gather together and share each other's burdens. Confess your sins. Build one another up. Stir one another on. Urge them towards love and good deeds. This isn't what he meant. But we also know, after years of trying, that that we can't make these types of relationships happen. We can't force them to happen. We can't program transparency. We can't force openness. But we do feel like, we do feel like after years of giving it our best efforts, that we, that we have come up with a way, the best way to set the table, to create the opportunity for them to form and flourish naturally. And the way that we do that, <laughs> we're not geniuses, a lot of churches do it, but the way that we do it is, is through smaller groups of people. For middle school and high school students, those are in, in your rooted in YU small groups and your age-related small groups. For college students and adults, we call those T-Life groups. Uh, T-Life groups are anywhere from like 10 to 15 people or like Ronnie's college group is like 75, I think. It's huge. That meet like three to four times a month. Uh, and in those groups, we, we do our best as a team to develop questions, questions around the sermon that, that you can sit down together as a group and, and a leader will ask these questions and try and generate conversation uh, where we can all do our best to grow deeper into where God is leading our, our church as a whole. Plenty of other groups at different times, seasons, will do some Bible studies. Uh, they'll watch some videos together. They'll do plenty of different things to help grow them in their relationship with Jesus. Prayer and care happens. Like when somebody has a need, it gets lifted up in prayer. And somebody in that group, nine times out of ten, is going to step up and say, how can I help you? With that, we care for each other. And this is the most important thing. I mean, above all else, my favorite thing is the food. <laughs> it's fantastic. You only have to cook one small thing and you get all this stuff. It's awesome. And we have married couples groups and we have men's groups and we have women's groups. We have mixed groups. My buddy Aaron is excited. He's starting up a, a divorced men's group for, for guys that have gone through a shared experience. I, I believe that when they start that group, they're going to be connected like that because they've experienced something together. They have something special about what their life was like. Although it was tough, they can come together as a group. And because they've all shared that same experience, I think their relationships are going to gel that much faster. Now, group signups don't actually happen until January, but I asked Daniel Phillips, our connecting director, if he could do something special. This is just between us, so don't tell anybody. Those of us in the room, those watching online, he created an interest form. And so he's going to put that up on the screen. So I'd love for you to get your phones out. Some of you had your phones out because you lost interest like 10 or 15 minutes ago. That's fine. Like, uh, 
Text the word groups to 55444 or scan that code and you can sign up for the early interest form. The beauty of doing this and what Daniel has offered to you, again, just you, do not share this with anybody outside this room or you watching online. <laughs> that if you sign up for this early interest form, you'll get the group's catalog delivered to you a few days early. So December 29th, you'll receive the group's catalog, have the opportunity to sign up for a new group a few days before anybody else, anybody else gets access to that. So don't tell them. T-Life groups and small groups for students are the best environment for these types of relationships to form. We believe that wholeheartedly. But let's get very real for a second. I want to be honest with you. Some of you have been in a group before and it sucked. Like I don't, I don't mean a group at another church. I mean you've been a part of a group in this church and it did not go well. Like you gave it a shot. Maybe even you, you let yourself be known and you got bit by that somehow. And I just want to tell you, I'm, I am truly sorry. As a team, we do our best to develop the opportunity for these types of relationships to happen. But we're all human, right? Like we'll develop a leader. They may not be a good leader. You, you have a good leader, but you have bad connection, and it just doesn't work out. And so my thing for you, as much as I can challenge you, if you've been a part of a group before and it just didn't work out for you, try it again. Give some grace to us as an organization, to the idea of groups, and just give it a shot because it's so worth it. it. It's so worth it because when you are in this circle, when you find the right circle, is where we find our vision casters. It's in these circles that we find those who know us deep enough to see the parts of us that are not quite where they need to be. It's where we find the people, where we can be the people who see that in other people and help them become who God created them to be. And, it, and it's where we find acceptance with a vision towards improvement. Because that's what the church is all about. You know why? Because that's what Jesus is all about. You know why? Because that's the gospel. Because that is the gospel. That's the good news for me. It's the, it's the good news for you about who Jesus is. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not just to leave you here. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not just to write you a love letter and hope that you get it right. No, he sent Jesus to move into your life in such a way that Jesus begins to transform you from the inside out. That he begins to take you from where you were, where you are, and get you to the place where God created you to be so that you can experience so much more of life than you can experience without him. This is where it happens. And the way he does that best is through the church. Through other people who are on the same journey that you're on. Through other people who are a step further in the same journey that you're on. And that's the place that this happens Someone, somewhere where somebody knows your burdens and so they can carry them for you. Where you know somebody else's burdens and you can throw them on your back and truck down the trail a little while with them on your back instead of theirs. Where, where people are able to be who they really are so they're really known. Because when you are known for who you are, you can be shown who you can become. Would you pray with me? God, I'm just, I'm just so, so, so grateful. I'm so grateful for a church that, that cares a lot about in here. 
that loves to come in here and sit in rows together and, and sing your praises. And I like the cool lights. I like the good sound. I like the good music. I, the screens are amazing. I love it in here. But God, I'm so much more grateful to be a part of a church that knows this isn't where it happens. To be a part of a church that has committed everything to not just be a church with small groups, but a church of small groups where we know that when we get into smaller groups of people, that's where we experience what you meant for us to experience and our lives can be forever changed. And so, God, I pray for those in the room who have experienced tough situations in groups. It didn't go well for them. They're turned off. They got a sour taste towards groups. Would you give them the grace would you give them the grace to know that, that we don't always get it right? Would you give them the courage to step into an, another group in, in hopes that they might experience the relationships that we're talking about? God, knowing full well that to experience those relationships, they have to be known. Now, that's such a key element to what we need to do individually on our part to make these things happen. God, I, I pray that in January we see the, the biggest boost in groups that we've ever seen in hopes that our church can continue to grow and change and transform, that they can continue to become more of who you created them to be. Lord, we love you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.